the world is divided so much so that they war over their divisions and the temptation has always been there for believers to divide over the same things that the world divides over to war just as the world wars economically we remain divided racially we remain divided nationally we remain divided today those wars are simply ideological they still are taking place right before our eyes just in another form welcome to the james series chapter two and today we are going to be seeing how james delves into this issue of partiality James 2 verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your synagogue, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, well, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you, you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? So we now see this really strong warning by James, and he is talking about the sin of partiality. And in this case, regarding economic distinctions that we make between each other, treating rich people one way and treating poor people another. And in this world, this is a very clear, very evident thing. We no matter where you go, what country you go, you will see homeless people, the most marginalized, the most discounted, perhaps members of society, people who are looked down upon as having no value because of their living conditions. And we have this blame culture with oftentimes we think, well, well, they deserve it because obviously they must have made some decision that have made them deserving of their circumstances. But of course, if we really think about that, what do we all deserve? You may consider, well, well, I deserve this and that in this world. Well, the reality is, is before God in and of yourself, what you deserve is to burn. In and of yourself, by your works, by what you have done, by what you can bring to the table, that which you wish to boast in, that is the very filthy rags that will condemn you before the only righteous one. So let's just start out by setting aside our works as a means of lifting us up as deserving of something. Because the moment we do that and see ourselves the way that really by our own works that we are, 
we can become more humble, recognizing that the only thing that sets us up for success and acceptance and that determines our true value, it's not by what we've done. It's by what he's done. It's by what God has done for us, laying his life down for us to be resurrected, made alive, paying for our lives with a high price with his life. And so, brothers and sisters, when we have this revelation, it becomes much easier to treat each other and to treat the marginalized and outcasts of society the way that Christ did. Recognize, please, how he, in his earthly ministry, went directly to the most marginalized of society. He went and he was accused of being a sinner because he hung out with the sinners of the world, the the homeless, the poorest of the poor, the least from the perspective of the world. He considered the least in this world some of the greatest. And that's why he says, have has God not chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith? Now, I want to tell you a little story about this, something that really shifted my world when this happened to me. I remember I was one day in South Africa ministering on the streets, and I've done this many times at this point, but but God allowed something to happen. There was a man who 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 saw me preach and he came to me and he started talking and he was a very intelligent man. I could quickly see and and very spiritually mature. I could quickly see. But he was in, in a dire circumstance. He has become homeless. And a long story short, one of my friends actually took him in and I started taking care of him as well. And we started fellowshipping with him and we started helping him. We, we hope to get him out of his circumstances, to get him back to his home country and to a place where he can succeed again in the ways that he desires. But in the midst of this process and hanging out with him and growing closer to him, I recognized that there was he had so much more faith than me in many areas because his poverty has pushed him into a position to trust in God in ways that I never had. He having sleeping, being sleeping on the streets, having have no having had no job. And guys, let me just say that being poor in a country like South Africa is different from being poor in the West, right? Like there are no jobs at all for people like that. And so he 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 joined me one day and we went we had the opportunity to minister at a school and and he was in a classroom with me and I remember he had a gift that God gave him the gave him the gift of words of knowledge and and he was able to stand in the classroom and call out the name the names of students in that classroom and he would prophesy to them and he would speak to them saying the things that's happening in their life right now and I remember one case he he called out the name of a girl and of course, he doesn't know anyone. And suddenly everyone's quiet. And, and he says, where's this girl? And no one says anything. Everyone is quiet. And he starts saying, well, this girl, she's in this class and she has she has a boyfriend and you and she needs to watch out because right now she is preferring the boyfriend over God and she is going to compromise her faith because of this boyfriend. And as she's speaking this, everyone goes quiet and starts freaking out because the girl is seated right there and everything he's spoken is true. Because see, 
And you're like, well, how is this connected? When we are poor in, f- in the world, as he was, as it's said in James 2, 5, God has chosen those to be rich in faith. And he, in his riches of faith, could operate in levels of faith that astonished me. And see, I want to submit that there are many people like him on the streets. There are many people like him who are cast aside, ignored. But this is where God warns us that if we are going to cast them aside and dishonor them, that is going to bring a curse upon us. I want to read to you Proverbs 22, verse 16. He says, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. He says, if you oppress the poor, you will become a poor man. What is oppressing the poor can mean many things, but it also means ignoring the poor because you being entrusted with with blessings in this world to share if you keep it for yourself to become rich and of yourself, but you do not share it with the poor, then you oppress the poor because you do not uh, fulfill your responsibility with the gifting that God has given you in this world. If a poor man walks into a church and he comes with a shabby clothing, how will that church receive him? I want to submit that the way that that church receives him speaks more of that church than anything else. And if that church is church receives him badly and does not give that poor man the the best seat in the house, then that church is a disgrace. This is just so heavy on my heart because we we have come to a place where we have totally lost sight of what matters to our Lord and Savior. We have totally missed the point of what what he came for that those people, those whom we today cast aside. And perhaps this is why we remain poor in faith. That is why we remain in a poverty state in the West of faith. And you say, well, why don't we see miracles like we see miracles in Africa? This is the reason, my dear brothers and sisters, because we are poor in faith, because we show partiality. It's time for us to start getting up and start becoming a member of society in as the church in the way that we should be moving mountains by bringing people out of poverty, ministering to the poor, ministering to the widow, the orphan, those who are cast off and stop just sitting in your air conditioned conditioned church sitting on your riches while the poor man dies in the winter. Another way that we divide with each other is denominationally. I want to submit to you that just as Paul wrote, he says there are many divisions among you. Some of you write and say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollo. So it is today we write and we say, I am of Calvin. I am of Ellen White. I am a Seventh Adventist, a Baptist. I'm a Catholic. I'm a messianic or whatever you want to call yourself. And you divide with one another over these divisions that Christ never has given. And I want to submit to you that not only that, but we divide with fellow believers sometimes more than we divide with the world. Sometimes what we'll do is we will we will 
have such a passion for theology and, and look, passion for theology can be good, but our passion for theology causes us to die on hills that we should not over minor differences with fellow believers. And we throw them aside, alienate them, divide completely. But then we go back to work with our secular colleagues and secular partners. And we have more unity with them in business than with fellow believers who we are supposed to be united in with the greatest uniter of all Christ. But we divide with them more than with our secular, unbelieving work colleagues. And this ought not to be so. This is a disgrace as well. How can you cast others aside who believe in the same Messiah and who are saved just as you are and who will stand before your Messiah just as you will one day in unity while you divide on earth? But with the world, you love the world. You're united with the world because the the world feeds you, you think. The world is your partner in business, you think. The world is your partner in all of these worldly things, but you cannot partner with the one of faith because you have some disagreement over the law of God with them. Another way that we divide is in nationalism. Now, nationalism is the the pride in one's own country, passion for your own country, your nation. And what we can do is we lift our nationalism over biblical unity as well. A great example of this, something that can challenge my American brothers and sisters and much of the Western world today is that of Russia. Now, let's just make a scenario here to challenge your thinking a bit. If there was a Russian in your midst, how would you treat them based off them being Russian? But if they were a believer, if they were someone who is actually united with you in Christ, but yet of a nation that Right now, there's a lot of controversy over how will you treat them in World War Two in that time in the 1940s, the same would have been said about the Germans or the Japanese. And we know that there was great hostility and hatred towards those nations from the American perspective. And of course, we can understand why. However, will you if someone is a believer and united in Christ, Will you be able to be meeting them in unity there? And I'm talking about someone who's truly a believer, of course. I'm talking about someone who is going to be standing for justice and righteousness. That's what a true believer is. But if they happen to be of a nation that there is a lot of controversy over, well, how will we deal with that towards them? Because, see, we should be careful not to paint everyone with the same brush and I want to submit to you that this is really what it means to treat people with partiality at its root. It means to make assumptions about someone based off a characteristic that they share with a larger group that we have ideas about. And so because of these assumptions, we judge everyone who's under this banner as the same, even though we all know you can be an American, you can be an European, you can be an uh, you know, Chinese or Japanese or of whatever nation in this world. And you yourself will know that I am not painted and recognized by everything that my people that my people may have done or said or how they think. Being a believer by nature means that we actually become more like Christ and less like our nation. 
the nations of this world have a certain direction and Christ says, pick up your cross, shift, repent and take a different direction. So that unity of believers means that we if we have truly all picked up our cross and followed him, we have to be united with one another as all being rejectors of the world and the paths of the world and taking up a new citizenship. Remember, our faith, our path is not in this world. It is in our citizenship of the kingdom that is to come. Brothers and sisters, let's keep that in mind. We have one king, one savior, that is Yeshua, the Messiah himself. Next, another issue that people show partiality towards each other over is that of sexism. In other words, considering a man or a woman as lower than the other based off simply their gender. And we I want to read to you Galatians 3 verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Now, think about that. He says neither Jew nor Greek. That is referring to nationalism. It can also refer to racism. Neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. That refers to class. There's no male and female that refers to gender for you are all one in Christ. And so we see that in Christ, that unity that we have brings us into a place where, yes, as different sexes, we can have different roles that are recognized by the scriptures, of course. However, we also should recognize that not one is better or more important than the other. But we are equal before God, all loved before God, all to be honored, all to be respected, all to be receiving a place where we can be heard, where we can be uh, shown kindness to, where we can have opportunity, no matter what our sex is. Another one that we can speak about is ageism. I want to break this down into a few. One disrespect towards elders is a huge problem. The scriptures speak and says in Leviticus 19, 32, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. So he is equating. If you truly fear God, if you truly love God, you will show honor to the face of an older gentleman or older lady. Another one that we can think about is Exodus 20, verse 12. He says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honoring your parents. And then, of course, also 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, where he speaks regarding young people. And he says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. So not only should we honor those who are older, but we should honor those who are younger by not despising them for being young, but allowing them the opportunity and room to grow and to share their faith and to be an example. And of course, letting them be as babes, mouthpieces of God. Remember the prophecy of that was repeated by Peter in the book of Acts was that young men, young daughters, they're going to be part of receiving dreams and visions and prophecies. God is going to speak to them and speak through them. So let's let's look at our younger people in that mindset as well, that God can use them. 
and look at our older people with the mindset that God has given them wisdom and God can use them and God can speak through them and God can use them to give us guidance who are younger than they. When we don't divide over the things that I just mentioned, we will not war in the ways that the world wars. We will not divide in the ways that the world divides. And perhaps then we could save some in the world by the example that we follow to be like Christ and bring peace amongst ourselves, being peacemakers, as he has called us to be and has said, blessed are the peacemakers. I want to read on now in James 2, verse 7. And now he is going to talk about partiality and what it means in God's kingdom. And he says in James 2, 7, are they talking of the rich, not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, this is interesting. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? This is the one of the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and your neighbors yourself. And of course, he said on these two hang all of the Torah and the prophets, all the law of God. In other words, if you don't obey loving the Lord and loving your neighbors yourself, then you can do all the other commandments, but it all doesn't matter. In through doing the commandments, you should be loving God and your neighbor. Of course, to love God and your neighbor is explained and instructed. And and we are shown specifically how to do that by the law of God, the commandments of God. To love God and your neighbor doesn't replace the commandments of God because that is an abstract statement. Right to love God. Okay, how does God want to be loved? If I said love your spouse, you should probably try and figure out how she or he desires to be loved. That is going to be and they're going to say this is how and that's God's instructions to us, how you can love him and how we can love one another best. That is God's statement. If you love me, keep my commandments, he states. That's why he says that if you show partiality, you're going to be convicted by the law of God as transgressors, because partiality is one of the things that is said to be a transgression of the law. The only way to know that showing partiality is sin is because the law of God defines it. The only way to know that showing partiality is not showing love is truly because the law of God has defined it as sin. And this is just one example of how the law of God defines sin and how it shows us how to love better. Now, which law is he talking about? If he says, if you show partiality, you're convicted by the law's transgressors, which we have to ask, where is James getting everything that we've been talking about thus far in this teaching? He is getting it from the book of Leviticus. Now, many people may be shocked by this because we have this idea that the New Testament is its own thing and the Old Testament, the Torah and prophets, it's its own thing. We don't see that everything that the New Testament writers are writing are being are based off what God has already given through uh, Moses. And so that's why James, he's literally everything he's saying, he's literally like quoting Leviticus almost word by word. We see, for example, in Leviticus 19, 
where a, a few commandments were given, a bunch of commandments on how to to be a, a loving believer. For example, he says, don't strip your vineyard bare, but leave those the remnants of it for the poor. He talks about don't steal. He says, don't swear by my name falsely. Don't oppress your neighbor. Don't rob him. Don't curse the deaf. Don't do injustice in court. And then he says this, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. That's exactly what James said. Don't give uh, defer to the great. Let the give the great, the, the rich people, the best seat in the house and be partial to the poor. No, this is exactly what James is saying. How fascinating. James is very familiar with the scriptures. And so I want to submit to you that the whole idea of loving your neighbor, which Jesus stated and taught us, right? That was also given in the Torah initially. Moses gave that. And we see in Leviticus 19, 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbors yourself. I am the Lord. No, this is not shocking because, of course, we know that Yeshua, that Jesus was there from the beginning. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. James, uh, John 1 verse 1. And so because he was there in the beginning and everything was made through him, there was nothing made that was not made through him. We know that he, when the law was given to Moses, he was the author of that law. Jesus is the author of the law of God. He is the one who then later came and walked it out when he was born into the world. And in his perfection of walking it out, he was an example to all of what righteous living and holiness was. So none of this is a is supposed to be a shock. But in the in some churches, of course, unfortunately, we have totally divorced our Messiah from that which he has given us. And that is what he has given us at Mount Sinai and what he has then also repeated, of course, in his ministry and through his uh, in this case, his brother James, half brother James, and through Paul and through all of the New Testament authors who are repeating and continuing to teach from that foundation that they are learning and hearing every day being taught in the synagogues, just as we read in James chapter two earlier, that he's there's this expectation that when you go into your a synagogue, your and some translation it says assemblies, but it means synagogue in the Greek. And in synagogues, that's where the Torah and the prophets are read. That is the Bible that they have at that point. So James, when he says that you will be convicted of the law's transgressors, if you show partiality, he doesn't speak of his own authority. He doesn't say that he's going to judge us and he's going to convict us. He's not the one convicting us of sin. He's saying, I defer to the law of God. The law of God that God has given you is the thing that is going to judge you. Now, James goes on and he says, James 2 verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Now, this is a statement that's been certainly misunderstood. Many people have thought that this statement means that, well, you know, it's impossible to keep the whole law perfectly. So because I can't keep the whole law perfectly and I may fail at one point, I'm going to then become guilty of all of it. Therefore, it's better to not even try and keep any of the law of God or consider the law of God as something that is a, a source of instruction for a believer. 
But let's look at what is the next verse to understand what James means. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So James goes on and makes the example that, you know, you can you can say, oh, well, I don't murder, but then you commit adultery. Then you're a transgressor. So what does he say? What's the solution? Does he say the solution is, well, well, don't even try to keep the law of God. It's, it's just too much. No, he says, speak and act as those who will be judged. Speak and act righteously in obedience to God. Do not murder and do not commit adultery. Do not be a hypocrite. Do not uh, break this law, but keep that law. Don't be like the Pharisees who was coming against Yeshua, who are hypocrites, who kept this law, but break this, that law. Just as they seemed fit, they picked and choose what they want to do. And that's exactly what's happening in much of Christianity today. But what we've done is we've made these buckets of laws, the ceremonial, the civil, the moral, and we have plopped laws in there by our man-made perspectives, not by guidance of the scripture, because the scripture never makes such distinctions. It says there's one law, and but by our distinction, we have picked and cho- chosen which laws we want to keep and which ones we want to abolish practically for Christians. But James says, don't be a transgressor, be a doer. And you will be judged under the law of liberty. What's the law of liberty? We just quoted it. It's Leviticus, the place where James is getting his instruction from. He said, do not be partial towards others. That is one of the laws of liberty. And he got it from Leviticus because those are the laws of freedom. And now we see this. He says in James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is, of course, paraphrasing something that the Messiah also said that where he said in Matthew seven that the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged with and the measure that you use, you will be measured to. And so this is all coming back to now the greatest commandments of loving God and loving your neighbor. And he's saying that if you love your neighbor as yourself, as you would also want to be loved, then keep the law in that manner. In other words, when you judge others, do it with the measure that you would want to be judged by. If you if you treat others, treat them in the measure that you would want to be treated with. If you want to be treated with kindness and love and honor, then treat others with kindness, love and honor, too. If you don't want others to steal from you, then don't steal from others. If you don't want to be poor, then don't treat the poor as if they are. I want to give you a few thoughts to take home with you. And that is this is remember your journey. Remember how God has taken you from where you were in your life, a sinner, a someone who is a rebel against God, someone who were a transgressor of God's law someone who is perhaps a hypocrite, wherever you were, God has had mercy on you all of the years he did. And he drew your heart with gentleness and kindness and love. And he showed you the truth because he loves you. And ultimately, he drew you unto himself and you repented. Therefore, if you see someone around you who's who's where you were at, 
show them the gentleness, the grace and defer judgment just the way that you would desire to have had that happen to you. And in that way, then perhaps they can follow the journey that you did unto salvation and unto righteousness. Sometimes it's so easy to forget where we've come from and then treat others with measures that we weren't treated with. God's shown us grace, but we don't treat others with grace. God measured us with love, but we don't measure others with love. But let's ultimately be a light to the nations. Next week, we're going to go on from James chapter 2, verse 14 and onwards, where we're going to be talking further about the relationship between faith and works. I want to say a special thank you so much to our partners who make this series possible. And if you want to become a partner of this ministry, it would really help us continue in our work. You can go to riseonfire.com.